Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. I just want to start off this morning by looking together at the context of Romans again, just for two minutes, very quickly, um, and we're going to do that in a slightly different way than we've done before. Um, Chris did share this right at the beginning of our look through the book of Romans, but I feel for what God wants to say to us this morning, it'd be good to have some of that context fresh in our minds. Um, so what I want to do is play a video clip from a, uh, a group called The Bible Project. And uh, I would love to plug these guys to you. Their resources are fantastic. You'll find them on YouTube um, and uh, on, on their website. But um, they do fantastic overviews of books of the Bible. And I just want us to take two minutes just to look at why Paul wrote this book. Okay. So that's just a fresh look again at that, the context of Romans, why he's written this book, And I don't know about you, but when I read through the scriptures, when I read through the epistles and I look at the things that Paul is having to address, I am so, so grateful that we are not in those positions. I I am so glad that nobody is commanding us to be circumcised as guys. I am really glad that nobody is hammered while we're taking bread and wine together. I am really glad that we don't have 10 people all at once trying to bring words, trying to share things at the front, and there's no elders in the house to bring order to what's going on. But I believe that part of the reason we don't face those challenges is also because we find in the word the solutions to how Paul dealt with them. So before we ever get there, we know how to nip things in the bud. We know how to deal with things before they become issues. And um, when we look uh, in, in a little bit at Romans 12, we see that Paul does that. He, he, he addresses how to deal with these issues, but he also gives um, some indications for us. Not how to deal thing, with things just when they become issues, but how to make sure we're living a life where we don't have to deal with those things. I am really blessed, (laughs) I'm really blessed by a lot of things, but I'm also really blessed when I look around the church, and actually, I see a huge amount of what I read in the scriptures in the body of Christ. It's really easy to look around and think about what we don't have, or what we haven't seen, but when we read through the scriptures, we are reading a snapshot of sometimes 10 years, 3 years, 5 years, and I think we've been around for... As a, as, a, as a congregation for 25 years, 26 years, maybe a bit more now. Um, and if we were to compile a letter saying all that God had done in those 25 years, all that God had accomplished, all that he had achieved, do you know what? We would be reading of miracles and signs and wonders. We would be reading of healings. Just this morning, two people where we've read, they've been healed of cancer. God has moved provided health that's amazing God is so good he's blessing us we'd be reading of provision we'd be reading of mind-boggling things that God has done you know we've got to keep in mind that God is moving amongst us and that doesn't mean that I'm satisfied with the amount that we see God move of course we want to see God move in even more dynamic and powerful ways because as he moves we see his glory we see him glorified we see him made famous and Don't we want that all the more? When we read in the scriptures about people being added daily, when we look at the worldwide church, people are being added daily. People are being added to the church daily. It doesn't mean that I don't want to see daily edition here. But I want to appreciate first what God is doing in his church. And so when it comes to Romans, 
It's a, it's a fantastic book that as, as we've seen and as we've gone through, we've read in great depth this view of the gospel, starting with our separateness from God and how far from him we were, how, how broken the bridge was, how vast the gap was. And then we read on to see God and his magnificent solution in sending Jesus Christ for us. But not just stopping there, but then going on to tell us about this new life that we have in Christ and going on to the future glory that we can expect to receive. Wow! To quote Stefan, wow! (laughs) And to be honest, outside of that context, and that context is really helpful to me because then Paul from from chapter 9 does seem to take a bit of a hard left, doesn't he? Um, We go from Romans 8 to, right, now let's talk about Israel. And it seems like a bit of a a surprising turn, but we see that actually Paul is dealing with something. And in the wisdom of God, we get this even greater understanding of the gospel and God's promises and his people and what that looks like. And Paul um, talks about here how um, no longer being Jew or Gentile guarantees your salvation, The only salvation that you can find is in life, in the tree that is Christ. And he says that that you Gentiles, you've been grafted in. But don't lord it over the Jews because if if God has cut off his own people, if they won't obey and and find Christ, hey, he'll, he'll cut off the Gentiles. But actually, he then finishes with this promise to say that he isn't a... um, that he uses this phrase, he says um, that God is, uh, sorry, I've, I've lost my place. <laughs> um, he says that God is not going to pull back on his promises. He's not going to forget his promises that he's made to his people. He loves his people and he will fulfill his promises to them. And you know, when he says he will fulfill his promises, he will fulfill his promises. And I love Paul's honesty in this, in that he says, to be honest, I don't really understand exactly how this is going to happen, but it will happen. And then he finishes this 11 chapters of in-depth and sometimes complex theology with this statement in chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom of God How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And when I read that, you know, it reminded me a little bit of 1 Corinthians Uh, in chapter 11, in verse 16. And Paul has spent some time here explaining head covering to the church. And then he says at the end, if anybody is inclined to be contentious about this, we have no such practice, and nor do any of the other churches of God. Paul says there, essentially, to a certain extent, it doesn't matter if you agree with me. This is our practice. This is what we believe. This is the truth. This is what we practice. And as I read this, It's it's as if Paul is saying, how rich and how great is the wisdom and the knowledge of God in all of this. In all of this vast and great um, 
explanation of the gospel. How amazing is God? And who are we, even if we don't agree, even if we don't quite understand everything, who are we to question his knowledge? Who are we to question his wisdom? And then just sums up with that all-encompassing piece of praise. It's amazing, isn't it? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. I love that. What a wonderful piece of praise. So then, after all that, we find ourselves in Romans 12. And this, I believe, is Paul's response to all of this doctrine, to everything that he has set out, to his gospel. This is his response. And he gets incredibly practical. And this is why doctrine is really, really, really important. Doctrine is not knowledge for knowledge's sake. Doctrine is so that we can live it out. Doctrine becomes feet and hands that go and change the world. Good doctrine is important because it helps us live out a life that God has called us to live. So we've got to get it right. That's why Paul can go from that and with no problem become super practical because it should become super practical. So let's read Paul's response to all this truth and keeping in mind the context he's written into and the doctrine that he's then established. Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. We're going to start there and we'll carry on and we'll look at the rest of the chapter. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I love this scripture because for me, in the same way that Romans is Paul's most complete gospel, actually this is his most, in in a sentence I think, it's his most complete response to it. This, you can sum up all of the Christian response to the gospel in this. I appeal to you, therefore, dear brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice. And uh, as I, I, I love, I, I just think that scripture is amazing. And I was looking at some of the words and what they actually mean. And this, this phrase, living sacrifice, offer your, uh, uh, sorry, this um, phrase, which is your spiritual worship. Spiritual worship actually translates um, literally to this phrase, rational service. This is your rational service. And to be honest, it doesn't sound as good, does it? (laughs) A spiritual worship. This magnificent kind of bit mysterious. This is your spiritual worship. But actually, Paul... What Paul said is, this is your rational service. This is your, of course. Of course. In response to all this, of course. But, actually, offering your body as a living sacrifice, even if it is, of course, is quite radical, isn't it? It's a a really radical thing to do. It's not easy. It doesn't, even if it's obvious, it's not easy. And I was challenged... By this question, essentially. How radical is my rationale? How radical 
is my rational way of thinking. Because this is rational service, but yet it's totally radical. And Jesus, uh, he did this all the time, actually. He, uh, he, he kind of said these huge, massive statements, like Paul here, and kind of as if they were just really normal. Because <laughs> Paul's done that, hasn't he? He said, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your rational service. And Jesus, you know, when you, when you read in Matthew 5, 40, uh, 43 to 44, when he's on the sermon, the sermon on the Mount, and he says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yep. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. <laughs> what? It's this huge statement that is going to completely change my life. And yet it's said with a, of course, this is what I'm saying to you. This is different, but this is obvious. And I actually really like the phrase rational service because for me it takes a bit of the mystery out of the comment. What does it mean for this to be my spiritual worship? Well, actually this is just your rational service. This is your normal response to seeing all that God has done for us. And you not- I don't know about you, but you notice that in yourself, don't you? When, when, um, when you see what God has done for you, your natural response is to go, God, you've done so much for me. Have everything I've got. It's like a continuous circle and God pours more and more into you and you just pour more and more out before him. I, to- I get, I, I don't, uh, don't understand it totally, but I understand the process that Paul is going through when he's kind of saying, I'm the worst of all sinners. Uh, sorry, I'm the worst of all um, the believers and I'm the worst of all the, or I'm, then I'm the worst of all the apostles. And no, I'm the worst of all sinners. I'm the worst of the worst because he's got this understanding and revelation of all that God has done for him and he's just pouring himself back out. It's why he always refers to himself as a servant and a slave. Because he's understood, God, you've given me so much. And I'm just pouring it all back out. It's always helpful when you read in the scriptures something that your uh, spirit naturally just teaches you, isn't it? And And in using this phrase, this is your rational service, for me it takes away from this idea that maybe this is for the super holy, this is for the apostles, this is for, um, this is for those who, you know, they really, they really want to make a go of this Christian thing, you know. But actually, this is for everyone. This is the natural response for absolutely everyone to what God is doing. This is our rational service to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice. But... Paul isn't saying that this is completely simple and he is not saying that this is an overnight job. Because what does he go on to say? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And if our minds need to be renewed, then we need to understand, we need to let our minds be renewed to think differently, to behave differently. For, for our lives to become a living sacrifice is a day-by-day, greater and greater um, understanding of what it costs to follow Christ. And it's, it's kind of part, part of the reason that we need a childlike faith to approach this, to just say, God, whatever you want of me, I'll, I'll give it to you. And even though this isn't easy, it's all yours, Lord. And don't think it through too much. 
Just move when the Holy Spirit tells you to move. Lay down what he tells you to lay down. And that, that is allowing your mind to be renewed. That is allowing yourself to live as a living sacrifice. The, the fact that we're a living sacrifice means that we keep being one. Because we're not a dead sacrifice. It's not over. We carry on being a living sacrifice. So it is a day-by-day thing. Um, it's uh, Bill Johnson that said, the biggest challenge with it being a living sacrifice is you can crawl back off the altar. And um, there, there is this kind of thing where we, ha- we do have to say, we've got to daily lay ourselves down again, okay? So even if today you feel, do you know what, I'm not doing that, that's okay, get back on the altar because you're alive and able to do that. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. You know, when we do offer ourselves up like this, the, the, the truth is, is that we need to come to a place where, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is working in every one of us to bring us to this place, where when, um, when God tells us to do something, our response is, of course. Yeah. Um, now, the challenge with that is that our minds are being renewed, and we'll go, of course. And then to the world, they'll go, that's ridiculous. I don't know what you thought today when, when Rich um, said, I'd like you to face the opposite side of the room and sing over each other. I'd like to say my response was, of course. Of course. That makes total sense. But you know what? I took a minute, and I thought, Do you know what? The power of life and death is in my tongue. I am singing praise to Almighty God and there are angels surrounding us. God is here amongst us and there is the power of life and death in my tongue. So of course, of course this makes sense. But you know what? It looked a bit ridiculous. (laughs) If somebody walked in and didn't know what was going on, it would look a bit ridiculous. Okay? But that's all right. Because our minds are being renewed. And this is our rational service according to all that God has done for us. And I was, just, I was really challenged by this. How radical is my rationale? How radical is my, um, my basic response and thought to things when I hear them? And we'll all be at different places and different... Um, uh, and, and, and different, I, I, I'll say levels, but because I have a better, I don't have a better word for it. But God is growing each of us. And it doesn't matter whether, even while you were doing it, you felt stupid still, okay? And, and you didn't get to that, of course, because the Lord is renewing our minds, okay? Each of us. And by engaging with what God is doing, our minds are being renewed. Yeah. But how radical is my thinking when it comes to being a living sacrifice, if I were to tell a non-Christian, somebody who didn't, didn't know the mercies of God, who hasn't read the last eight, uh, 11 chapters, who, ha- who hasn't seen that, and I told them what it means for me to be a Christian, would they say, oh, you're really into that church stuff, aren't you? Or would they be quite concerned for me? <laughs> I remember when I became a Christian, I told my parents, kind of, mum, dad, this is what I've decided to do. And um, essentially, what I, what I was telling them was a list of stuff I'm not going to do anymore. They were over the moon. <laughs> they, were, they were really chuffed. 
But you know, as I started to understand more and more about what God had done for me and what my response needed to be to what God had done for me, I would openly tell them what it meant for me to tithe, what it meant for me to, um, what it meant that my actual commitment to the people of God was going to be. And at times, do you know what? There was a little bit of concern. <laughs> there was a, bit, a little bit of, hmm. Okay. Now, please, uh, my parents are wonderful. They have never, they have never um, in any way not supported my faith, and I'm so grateful to them for that. But it's understandable that they were a little confused or a little concerned. But you know what? The evidence has put them at rest. (laughs) When we're faced with sickness, when we're faced with sickness, what is our response? My response in the past has been, right, I'm going to pray for this person. And I hope they get healed. (laughs) My response has been, I'm going to pray for you. But if God doesn't heal you straight away, and I've come up with a list of reasons why they might not get healed right now, because I don't want to embarrass God, because my experience had been, if I pray for them, then, do you know what? They might not get healed straight away, because that that had been my experience. But you know what? Our minds need to be renewed. Okay? I believe that God is taking every single one of us through a process by which he can make us the most effective disciples that we can possibly be. And that means sometimes along the way, and and to be clear, in my understanding at the time, I was doing the right thing. My heart was, God, I want to see people healed. I want to see people healed, Lord. I want to see people transformed. But I want my response to be, of course. Of course. I lay my hands on them and they're getting better. Because that's what the word says. He's paid for every sickness. And as for me, I'm staying healthy. Because God has paid for my sickness. He doesn't expect me to go from sickness to sickness to sickness. He expects me to be well. Because that's what he paid for. When God asked me to give away my hard-earned money. When God goes, ah, so I'm Lord over your wallet too. Sometimes my response has been, thank you, Lord, that you blessed me, and I see that need, but you know what? You've given that to me. You know, you've, you've blessed me with all this, so surely this is for me and my family, because you want to bless us. Sometimes my response has been, Lord, I've given you the tithe. Thanks for the rest. This is mine now. Just being honest with you, and praise God, I've got to be honest, those thoughts haven't lasted long in me. <laughs> Um, God has dealt with those things. I'm just being honest with you because if we're, you know, we're, we're, we're on a, we're on a, we're going through a process together. But is my response, and my response now, and I can confidently say this is, Lord, you are freely given to me, so I will freely give. A hundred percent, a hundred percent of what I have is yours. hundred percent. So, just tell me where to put it. (laughs) How radical is my rationale? How radical is it? And, And I want to be the most effective 
disciple that I can possibly be. And you know what? If my rationale becomes more radical, if, if I begin to think like that and don't have to have a conversation, an argument with God every time he asks me to do something, I will be more effective. And praise God, he is renewing my mind. And you know, for us, as a body, we have made a quantum shift. And I know we've heard that phrase lots over the past few months, but I actually keep being blown away by what it actually means. I was talking with Simon Rowland, a few of us, um, last week, and he was giving us a lesson on quantum mechanics, which I then followed up because I didn't really understand it. But (laughs) essentially, a quantum shift in layman's terms, which is helpful for me, is the change, the transformation of one thing to another. And it is, it is such an abrupt change that it, it almost indicates that it lacks any kind of process. That it just is one thing and then it's another. It is, it is the most radical change in all of creation that, that we can describe. It's the most radical way of describing a change. Is that a fair summary, Simon? Thank you. Good. Praise God. Um, And for some of us today, just thinking that and understanding that and believing that we have made a quantum shift is a bit of radicalness in your rationale. Because how often have we heard, and rightly I believe, that we're on the edge of something. We're coming into a new season. God is doing a new thing. And we've experienced those things. But you know what? God right now, is not doing a new thing. He's done it. God has moved us into a quantum shift. It's happened. And if we will reach out and take hold of what God has for us in this season now, of which it is there, it's in front of us, then we will come into and play our part in this shift. Okay? And as we then look, we're going to look at the the rest of Romans 12 now. And I believe there are some keys for us in radical living with one another, which we are going to need. There are some keys for us to live together in such an amazing way that God is evidenced among us. We're going to live together in such a radical way that our church is not blighted by division and breaking and a breakdown of relationships, but actually lives in harmony. And I can say that because I didn't write it. The Holy Spirit did, so. When we see wildflowers come in, which we've been promised, when we see new people emerging in their gifts and talents and the, the things that God has given them, and... When we see this group of people, which I I believe that the Lord laid on my heart today, and and I've seen that there are people here who, in the past, if you're honest, you've taken a step back in the things of God. You know that at one time you were firing on all cylinders, you were going after the things of God, and if you're honest with yourself, you've taken a bit of a step back. But in this quantum shift, you've seen it, and you want to take hold, you want to step forward again, and what you're doing is you're pulling up the weeds and the thorns that you've kind of let grow around you, and you're going for it. Praise God! But you know what? In all those groups of people, sometimes when that happens, these things can feel a bit uncomfortable, can be a little bit messy. 
But God never said living together would be perfect and easy. And that's why he gives as much attention to how to restore relationships and how to fix things as he does to making sure they never happen in the first place. So I've got some practical things to share with you. And, and as we read through this, um, this part of scripture, the, the, there might be things that God personally says to you that I'm not going to pull out, okay? Because this, the rest of this scripture is incredibly practical. It's kind of like thing after thing after thing after thing that we're supposed to do, the way we're supposed to live. And, um, and I just encourage you to note those things down. And at the end of um, me sharing, we, we're going to just take 30 seconds a minute and just allow the Holy Spirit to just highlight um, anything that's come up that you just think, Lord, I need to give some attention to that. You want to you transform my, my rationale. You want to transform the way that I think there. Okay? Um, so what I'm going to pull out of this are just a few things that I believe that God wants to say to us as a whole. Okay? And that, that won't necessarily be specific and individual. So we're going to read verses 3 to 8. And then I'm going to pull out some things from there, and then we're going to read the rest of Romans 12. So, from verses 3 to 8, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not uh, all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who uh, contributes in generosity and the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And there were three things that I felt God wanted to just pull out for us this morning in there. And in verse 3a, uh, the beginning of verse 3, says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But you know what? That means you've got to think of yourself highly. Just not more highly than you should. <laughs> but you should think of yourself highly. And I just believe that this morning there's people, and you know, you need to think of yourself highly. Not more highly than you should, but higher than you are right now. You need to believe that the gifts that God has given you are needed here. And not even just believe it, but just, un just, just understand it because it's true. <laughs> think highly of yourself. Don't worry. There are people around you that if you start to think more highly than you should of yourself, they'll give you a little nudge. We will help. <laughs> but believe me, that is not a problem that we're facing Please, 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 think of yourself highly. You are full of the Holy Spirit. You are full of gifts and talents that God has given you, every single one of you. So think highly of yourself. Second thing is this. In uh, verse 6, it says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. You know, seeing a gift in someone that you don't have should be a huge source of joy for you. <laughs> it should. It should either be an inspiration to you because they are gifted in something that you're passionate about and you want to be gifted in, you can learn from them and you can grow from them, or it should be because it's something that you know you're not gifted in and you really, really need them. <laughs> 
One of the people whose gifts blesses me on a practical basis, day to day, more than anybody else's, is Annie Pemberton. <laughs> because if you could take two people and the way they think and create two people who think pretty much opposite to each other, it'd be me and Annie, okay? <laughs> Annie is so magnificent in dealing with detail, in dealing with organization, in making the, the things happen that I'm sitting there going, this will be amazing! <laughs> And she goes, Mike, yes, it will be amazing. But now we've actually got to make it happen. <laughs> and I can look at that gift, and I can choose to do one of two things. I can either look at that gift and go, well, Annie, stifling my gift. We could have been running with this weeks ago. And then it all falls to bits and doesn't work. <laughs> or I can look at her gift and go, how wonderful that God has put us together so that there can't be any lone rangers, so there can't be people who can only depend on themselves and run off and get on with it. And you know what? The magnificent thing is, is that in Annie's gift of administration to, uh, and, and all that she does for us there, so much of it I don't have to do. <laughs> but when I do, it then becomes really easy because she can sit with me and go, this is how you do it. And I go, wow, that's not hard. And she goes, I know, because I've done all the hard work. <laughs> so we need to rejoice in one another's gifts. Right. And uh, the last thing on that section is just the sentence after that. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Use your gifts. Please. I need them. We need them. Please use your gifts. We really do. We all really need you to use your gifts. If you know that you have gifts and you're not using them, come and talk to people about how do I use this. That is a great question to ask. I'm really passionate about this. What do I do? I thought it was wonderful that we had somebody at Christmas signing what was going on. Wonderful. Praise God. Praise God. So we can reach a community of people that we haven't been able to reach before. Praise God. So if you've got gifts, use them, please. Let's look at the rest of Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honour. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil, evil for evil, but give thought and to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow. I'm always glad... <clears throat> 
that Paul didn't use a huge amount of punctuation because then when you really get into it, you can just follow him and you don't have to stop for anything. <laughs> Never mind. <clears throat> so the first thing I just felt um, to pull out of here about these verses now, just a couple more things and then we're going to finish, um, is in uh, Romans 9 and 10, the beginning of that. Let love be genuine and brotherly. Let's remember that the litmus test of love is not how I feel about you, it's what I'm willing to do for you. Am I willing to lay my life down? And sometimes I think we can get confused because I have loved ones who I have, I have genuine emotion and affection for, and I can get confused sometimes that that's what love actually is. But no greater has anyone, uh, no greater love has anyone than this, than he who would lay down his life for his friend. That's, that's love. So, you know what? If we don't feel love for everybody here, that's okay. If you're willing to lay your life down for them, believe me, those feelings will come anyway in that journey. But let's love one another. Let's love one another by being willing to live, lay our lives down for one another. And when we're doing that, let's not rely on our own love to do that. But the person who loves us all more than anybody could ever love us in the entire universe is residing in us, in his fullness. How could we not love one another? So let's ask him for that help if we need it. It is okay to be honest with the Spirit and say, do you know what? I need your help to love them. And then it uses this phrase about brotherly affection. And the Holy Spirit just kept reminding me of this, that when I was young with my brother... Our love looked like this. You are doing my head in. (laughs) You are annoying me. You promised me that if we wrestled and I hurt you, you wouldn't go and snitch. And I am in my room because you snitched. (laughs) But you know what? Ten minutes later, I've come down from my room and I'm over it. And I love him because he's my brother, and I still love him. And it didn't mean that I ignored him. It didn't mean that I don't speak to him anymore. I just believe that the Holy Spirit just wants to say that's what brotherly affection is for us, to bear with one another, to be honest and say, do you know what? They did my head in, but I love them. To put those things aside and be willing to come downstairs after you strop in your room, just say, I still love you. And I'm willing to lay my life down for you. Um, In verse 11, it says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. To me, that seems like a massive oxymoron. The idea that I can be slothful in zeal. It just seems bizarre to me that essentially... I can be lazy in passion. I can be lazy, I can be passionate and lazy at the same time. That's what the Bible tells me. And that was quite a shock because I thought to myself, well, lots of people have called me passionate. Lots of people have called me zealous. Brilliant. But I can be lazy in those things. And I'm expecting... um, And I just felt a real challenge in myself to go, how passionate am I 
to live out the things, the things of the kingdom that I know rather than just talk about them. Because I love to talk about the things of the kingdom. I love to. I love to. When I was learning to drive with Stefan, a couple of lessons in, he said, Mike, now we must stop talking about the Lord because I have to teach you to drive. You're paying me. <laughs> I love to talk about the Lord because he's amazing. But I never want to be so... I never want to be more passionate to talk about him than to serve him. Amen. I never want to be more passionate to talk about healing than I am to lay my hands on the sick. I never want to be quicker to talk about what God will do than to do it. Thanks. <laughs> Praise God. Good. That's what the Holy Spirit said, so there we go. <laughs> We are those who are called to live radically, not just talk a good game. Because we can talk a good game. But I want to live it. I want to live it. I just want to finish by pulling some stuff out of this scripture. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I'm really expecting um, that when we see a greater number of people coming in, that we're going to see a greater number but also a greater variety. And, um, and as much as it is up to us, we must live in peace with one another. And if that means, I, just, I know we know this, but I just felt a fresh uh, emphasis for us right now. If somebody upsets you, you must go to them. You must go to them and not let things fester away. You must talk to them and say, do you know what, you hurt me. And for some people, do you know what? These four words will be the most freeing thing for you is just to say, I forgive them, Lord. We should go to people if they upset us, but you know what? Sometimes you just need to forgive them in your heart. Sometimes we walk past somebody and they didn't acknowledge us and you just have to go, Lord, I, I forgive them. They're busy. They didn't mean to. They love me. Of course they love me. I forgive them. Sometimes... You see something well up in somebody and it comes out and they know they were wrong. They don't need you to tell them. I forgive them, Lord. I forgive them, Lord. And cover them. Bless them. You will be such a blessing to them in doing that. If you can't, if you can't just do that, go to them. That is biblical. That is okay. But go to them. And as, as, I, was talking, as I was just reading through this again this morning... Uh, I just felt the Holy Spirit say that something we must guard at the moment in particular is if one of the leaders upsets you, not just the elders, but the leaders, if any of the leaders upset you, you must make the first move. Please, 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 don't sit back and hope they notice. I, I love that the Christian life is so practical <laughs> because then it doesn't become the Christian theory, it becomes the Christian life. And in all this doctrine, in this fantastic gospel, we see Paul spelling out some amazing ways of us living together, of him saying, look, this is your response. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. This is the rational thing to do. And God is calling us today to step into fresh faith, fresh passion, to make some decisions, to say, Lord, I'm going to let you renew my mind in that. I'm going to let you, I'm going to come before you so that when I pray for the sick, I really believe they're going to get healed. Because Lord, I have faith, but give me faith. 
He's calling us to think differently, to live with one another. And, and please, again, I, I know we've heard this before, and I know we, have we live in a tremendous community, but God has more for us. And God wants to protect us in all circumstances. Holy Spirit, I just want to thank you that you love, um, you love us to dwell in unity together, that you love to take what uh, these new creations that you've made us and make us look just like Jesus. Lord, I want to thank you that you are renewing our mind every day. And Lord, we just want to come to you again and say, Lord, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice because this is our, our rational service. This is our rational decision based on all that you've done for us, Lord. How can we not? Lord, we say that we love you. And Lord, we pray for the blessing that we are already receive on this church to continue, in our family, in our living together, in all that you have for us, God. Bless us. And thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for the way that we live together. And we give you glory and honour. You are a good God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.